backing them is just a no-brainer that I got to do it because I want to be learning uh, from him or her. During that process itself, I think the passion will keep you going rather than the thought of how much money you're going to make. Today's guest is James Tan. He's a managing partner at Quest Ventures and prior to this, he was the co-founder and COO of Uutuan, a daily deals platform and a Nasdaq-listed company. James also serves as an advisor or board member at the Applied Innovation Institute, Action Community for Entrepreneurship or ACE, and many more. His super angel investments include the likes of Carousel, 99 Group, Vulcan Post, Caro, Shopback, Axfus, Burple, and many more. Angel investing is not for the faint-hearted. It's the highest risk asset class, but also potentially the highest rewards with the opportunity to guide a founder to the top. Today, I'm talking to James about how he got started, mistakes and lessons learned, and strategies for angel investing. Let's get started. Thank you, Vanessa, for inviting me onto the show. So the key question I want to ask here, and I'm dying to find out is, how do you get started as an angel investor in the first place? I started angel investing very early, more than 10 years ago, and it was really angel investment into everything. Um, we're talking about the likes of even movies um, and I really only focus on technology as an investment class when I um, got um, really very serious about this and decided to focus and also because of the influence and organization called the Business Angel Network of Southeast Asia or BANSI for short uh, had on me one of the professors whom I admire very deeply Professor Wong Pokam is the founding chairman of BANSI and uh, he was one of the advocates for angel investments in this region in Southeast Asia itself when the first dot-com boom started in the late 1990s and early 2000s and Bansi has continued its mission since and last year I handed over the reins as chairman of Bansi to my well new chairman and uh, so it's, I've come a full circle then. I see. And was there any rationale of okay why tech focus uh, and why Southeast Asia region? Um, I want to do things that I understand in. Um, so for technology, it's an area that I always felt I have a bit of understanding in. And it's an area where I have a lot of passion for and I just get a lot of excitement reading um, things about technology, whether it is old, um, old periodicals like PC Magazine or even today stuff like TechCrunch and so on. I get a kick out of reading new things. and. Southeast Asia is just an area that I, I grew up in and it's an area that I think has just so much potential. Southeast Asia is the fastest growing region uh, in the world uh, last year and there are so many areas and so many countries in this region itself that continue to see dynamic growth um, during COVID. I see. And did any of the interest that you have for tech, right? reading about tech, come from your entrepreneurship days? Yes, absolutely. So um, as an entrepreneur myself, I, I think um, the interest in investing into fellow entrepreneurs is definitely there. Uh, after all, you can't be starting and doing everything yourself. Mm. So, for example, using more recent examples, uh, when the likes of someone like Darius Chong, who is a serial entrepreneur and started Tankube, got acquired by McAfee and started up, you know, came, came to us and said, hey, you know, I'm starting out something else. Would you like to back me? Obviously, yes. Because uh, number one, I wasn't in Singapore at that time. I was in China, busy running my own business. Number two, he has proven himself as an experienced entrepreneur. He knows what to do. He knows how to fundraise. 
he knows how to get a company to yeah. a liquidity event or exit so why not and the best way we can help such entrepreneurs is really not just in um, uh, talking to them from time to time which is important as called mentorship mm. it's also not in terms of just referring networks to them which is important because networking and uh, expanding networks of uh, busy entrepreneurs is important mm. but it's also in putting our money where our mouth is if we truly um, support the entrepreneur mm. then let's put some uh, skin in the game and for me that's uh, angel investment money so from what I'm hearing, right, it's not just about financial returns for you. It's about uh, growing the next startup and also helping and being behind uh, the founder, whether it's financially and also in any other strategic value, right? And this is why perhaps that you chose to go into pretty much one of the highest risk sort of investments compared to uh, putting your money elsewhere. Mm. So, so what are your thoughts on why, why you decided to really go all out into private investing? Um, as you rightly pointed out, angel investment is a highly risky uh, form of injury of, of investment. Exactly. Um, the uh, asset class, if I can even call it an asset class at all, is highly illiquid. You don't see money coming back. There's no dividend. There, unless the company has some liquidity event. Otherwise, you're not going to see any single cents mm-hmm. back, much less your capital back, mm-hmm. uh, until the company gets to some liquidity event. And liquidity event for us simply means whether it goes uh, acquired by someone or it goes into uh, some public stock exchange as a listed company. So given all that, uh, the some of the best returns, some of the top returns in the world continue to be realized and seen in illiquid asset classes like this. Mm. Um, I want to use a very traditionally used phrase which is uh, low risk, low gain and high risk, high return. So uh, you can look at angel investment as one of the classes which fits exactly into that um, idiom. I see. So speaking of uh, financial outcomes and also how illiquid this asset class is, right? Is there any financial strategy that you set for yourself? Like, okay, if I'm putting money into this, minimally this amount of articles. I think it's important to set out um, as a portfolio approach first to say if you have a net worth of say uh, for simplicity say let's say hundred dollars yep. and you want to maybe allocate say 20% of your uh, liquid net worth of that hundred dollars uh, 20% into e-liquid asset like this and then which means that you have $80 left in the liquid form to go into public stock markets, to go into real estate mm-hmm. or any other instrument class that you so wish to go into. Mm-hmm. So with that 20% if you lose everything, then seriously, you only lost 20% of whatever net worth that you had, yep. right? And with that $20, then you adopt a portfolio approach and see what you can do with that $20. Uh, we always do not advise that you put $20 into one basket, which is maybe one uh, private uh, company or one startup. Yep. That is going to be highly unwise. Uh, you would distribute the 20 into maybe 20 times $1. Mm-hmm. That means 20 startups of one dollar each that you go into and because why 20 because 20 is a, has been mathematically and historically proven to be a good size as a portfolio or as a basket of investments um, and which will probably net you one outstanding return at the minimum and some returning you the capital if not a bit more and obviously having a lot of others that fail but combine as a portfolio mm-hmm due to the outstanding returns and those who return you a bit and so on, you are going to get uh, outsized returns. So do you set yourself a certain benchmark that you want to hit? Or like do you tell founders, okay, with this investment, there's some sort of uh, expectations that I want to hit financially? Um, I started off thinking that way 
and then uh, because I'm doing it as a passion and also kind of like a extra activity or what we call extracurriculum activity just something out of fun also um, and then to put everything in monetary terms is going to be just highly transactional when you interact with the founders exactly. um, so and if you follow my mathematics just now if you follow put into 20 startups the chance of you hitting uh, getting an outsized return as a portfolio is going to be quite high so with that thinking I no longer go into every deal uh, measuring how much we're going to uh, I'm going to make out of this one deal uh, I want to go into every deal knowing that this is a field that I like or this is a founder that is really uh, uh, ex an expert in the area that they're in and backing them is just a no-brainer that I got to do it because I want to be learning uh, from him or her. It is, has to be out of passion because this is an illiquid investment. It's going to be illiquid for the next few years, maybe even 10 years. Mm. And during that process itself, I think the passion will keep you going rather than the thought of how much money you're going to make. Mm. So let's track back, right? So what were some of your first few investments or your first few like proudest startups that you have put your money in? So um, excluding those uh, earlier startups which were not in tech like movies and so on, um, the tech-based uh, investments that I did um, in Southeast Asia itself, the first one or one of the first ones would be uh, Carousel. Um, Carousel is today the region's largest uh, C2C platform for pre-love or use uh, goods transactions. Uh, in fact, they are one of the world's largest right now measured by whatever matrix you can uh, throw, at the, throw at them. So I'm um, very proud that we supported them when they were just three guys, and literally, literally just three guys and an app. And uh, today, um, they have been backed by uh, well-known funds uh, internationally like Sokoa Capital and Rakuten and so on. So how did that start? You know, if you see pools and pools of startup founders uh, every single day reaching out to you, right? So how do you sieve out that one golden piece? Um, Maybe I, put it into a context of Carousel. For Carousel, it was uh, partially serendipitous and um, because we are, Quest itself, we are working out of a place uh, at, called Block 71, which um, uh, the Economist magazine calls the world's uh, most highly compact uh, startup ecosystem in the world. And at Block 71 itself is where you can find a lot of uh, different talent, talent in venture capital, talent in angel investing, talent in startups, talent in uh, like my professor that I mentioned, Professor Mompokam and so on, who all gravitate around the area as a means to get to know one another and to share ideas. And Carousel was a company that was uh, incubated uh, by NUS. Uh, we actually met them when they were still known as their earlier name called Snapcell at a competition that was one of the first to be run in this region and in Singapore called Startup Weekend mm -hmm. by a friend who happened to be working in a media firm at that point in time called E27. Um, all these uh, names I mentioned are still around but now being run by different people and so on but because they won number one in Startup Weekend which we uh, went in as a sponsor at Quest uh, we chose to meet them after that and the discussion just took a while I remember going back to Beijing uh, with no investment made just some connections made but no investments made and one night uh, one of the guys in Burpo which was another company just called and said hey um, Carousel is a fundraising uh, we should get in touch and we had some calls and um, over the phone call, the, the decision was made to invest. Yeah. Wow, that is, it is quite uh, true referrals, true their achievements in Startup Weekend and many, many factors just fall into place uh, that lead up to that investment. Yes. 
I see. So is there any investment theses that you follow or that you can recommend people uh, out there listening who wants to get started on angel investing to follow? Mm, I think it's important that you come into angel investing with uh, some guidelines of your own. And if the guidelines are sexy enough, you can term it a thesis or something <laughs> else. Uh, so for me, I, I, I wanted something that I can really understand, which for me will be digital commerce. Uh, 10 years ago, Southeast Asia is not what it is today, was not what it is today. Uh, the payment systems were fragmented. You don't have logistics who can you know, deliver your Lazada goods to you or whatever goods to you so fast and so on. And I, uh, through the experience in China itself, I firmly believe and have been proven that commerce is the first underlying layer. Without that commerce layer or digital commerce layer, the payments, the logistics, the e-commerce and so on, there simply can be no catalyst for the ecosystem to sprout wings in other areas such as space, maritime, deep tech, cryptocurrencies and so on. So 10 years ago, we started out saying, I want to do things only in digital commerce because Southeast Asia was still very new in that at that time uh, and had nothing in the likes of the carousel and the payments and so on. And uh, the, the second, maybe the second, second thesis after that would be, even if it's in digital commerce, it has to be scalable, it has to be replicable, and it has to function in what I call a large internet community. So let's break it down. A scalable, um, a startup, a scalable business is if you have it as a let's say a million dollar uh, revenue right now in Singapore, um, can it scale and become ten million dollars in Singapore, a hundred million dollars in Singapore, and so on? That's scale. And people tend to misuse or misinterpret the word scale, because if you expand to Kuala Lumpur, expand to Bangkok, it's a whole new game. You you can't simply replicate your current. Um, uh, business processes and so on and, and expect it to work as it worked in Singapore mm. and in KL for example you can't so for me it's not scale it's called replication and an idea that works in Singapore may not necessarily replicate well to other cities like Yangon mm. so what um, the ideas I was looking for had to be well first of all must scale in the respective city that they are from but must also be able to replicate across the major parts of Southeast Asia and how many parts of Southeast Asia that brings us to the third point which is large internet community so in that case we are looking at uh, very, now 10 years later very significant uh, portions of Southeast Asia that are now already covered by internet already have a smartphone in their hands and uh, definitely fit into the thesis it sounds like all these uh, guidelines that you came up with came from your prior experience in entrepreneurship um, and also came from your business experiences. How would someone out there who perhaps uh, is completely unfamiliar with, with say, uh, the market conditions and all these trends and technology, would angel investing uh, still be suitable for them in that sense? Or perhaps would they take on a backseat role? Is, is that more suitable for them? Mm, I think as we have already pointed out earlier in this segment that uh, it's an illiquid asset um, you should also be uh, doing this illiquid asset with a certain just a certain portion of your entire liquid net worth for example 20% uh, as I in my example earlier so with all that in mind and you still feel that for example you want to focus your energies on the 80% or you want to just uh, let someone else do the work for that for that 20% that you're prepared to do into and maybe just participate from time to time. Yeah. Then you can do, uh, you can, there's two ways you can do it. One, invest into a fund, 
because a fund like a Quest Ventures, for example, is also uh, investing to startups. You can also you can do that. There are many funds for you to explore uh, investing into. They are already investing in startups and so on. On number two, to have a more direct approach, which is to go through what we call syndicates. Uh, syndicates allows um, the allows you to work hand in hand with other syndicate members uh, to jointly collect a pool of money to invest into a startup. So using um, the twenty dollars and twenty dollars, and then divide it out to twenty times one dollar as an example. Imagine you have only one dollar to invest into uh, one each company, and the startup is actually looking for three dollars as a minimum investment. So where are you going to get the extra two dollars from? As I also said, you want to have a portfolio size of twenty. You don't want to over concentrate your risk onto any single portfolio or company. So in that case, you will probably raise the two dollars, or startup will probably raise the extra two dollars from other angel investors. So what will happen is, if you already have a syndicate form or you join an existing syndicate, you contribute one dollar, another investor contribute fifty cents, and so on and so forth, and it accumulates to three dollars. And to the startup. This syndicate that you are part of has really contributed what they need, which is the three dollars. It also helps. This 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 method also helps to expose you, and it's low. Uh, I would say it's a uh, it's a much lower touch. You don't have to do that much because there's a syndicate of people who are working hand in hand with you to get a deal done. Mm. And also to do go through all the legal processes and to do the assessment of the the startup itself, which is the due diligence process. Mm. And everybody you know can lend the different expertise from their their prior work experience uh, to assess this company with their uh, uh, own perspective. Yes, I yes. see. So, what are some of the greatest lessons that you have learned in your many many years of angel investments, or some of the mistakes that you have bounced back from? Um. Alright, I think I've uh, made enough mistakes. I think some of them are worth sharing. Some of them are just uh, stupid mistakes that I have to live with. Uh, I think the most common mistake um, that most people make will be uh, FOMO or fear of missing out. Um, and after just years of doing this, I don't get FOMO anymore. Um, if a startup is just trying to uh, FOMO me, meaning they are trying to say that look, a lot of investors are coming in now. If you don't come in now, you're not going to get a slot uh, to to get in them. Okay, it's okay. I I don't think I'm I'm for this. I want to take the time to do my own homework and not outsource that due diligence to other angels. One of the other, the second mistake will be trusting uh, other angels too much. Um, I I would like to think that after having spent some years here. Uh, when I make an investment, I'm happy that other angel investors, actually many angel investors, would like to also be part of the deal. So I'm happy of that, but it doesn't mean I'm right every time. And whenever I'm right, of course I'm very happy, and my angels are very happy. But whenever I'm not right, then there's a certain responsibility too. Although if they have followed our earlier uh, advice, is you know they spread out their portfolio, so they have twenty, so one that have uh, gone belly up, it really doesn't matter that much. But um, trusting other angels and not doing their own homework is also a mistake that you um, shouldn't be making. Next mistake would be not doubling down. You should always have some cash for making a follow-on investments. If an investment, if a portfolio company has moved so far along that is raising the next round, um, and it's proven that it can uh, you know get above the crowd and uh, get above its own cohort of competitors and and be able to raise the next round, I think. Uh, it just makes a lot of sense for you to double down on the initial investment that you have made. Come in again into the startup in the new at the new valuation to exercise what we call your prorata rights, which is to continue to maintain the percentage stake that you 
uh, used to have in the last round. Mm. Uh, that is a smart move to make uh, exercising your Parata rights when you're making angel investments and to do it for as long as you can reasonably afford it. Mm. Um, and then uh, maybe the last mistake would be um, not investing due to wrong stages. Um, angel investment, although the name says angel, you don't necessarily have to make the investment when the startup is at angel stage. The startup can still be at series A stage, but you know, and they are already raising institutional funds, but still needs some additional capital. Where it's too small for the institutionals to consider, maybe you know, too large for themselves, the founders themselves to pump in their own cash. And that's where you, as angels or as a syndicate, you can come in. Um, I've said uh, no uh, to to some companies before, and one of them was the wrong decision. Uh, Grab, for example, came to us as Series A. And uh, you know, because I was full focused on angel investing at that point in time, uh, I didn't invest in the company at that time, which I believe was called my taxi, and which became Grab. I think we should be open-minded to consider um, uh, startups at different stages. As long as the founders and the companies all make sense, then yeah, just go into it. And we even see syndicates on cap tables of say uh, entering at Series B. Even is that still advisable if they're you know quite large, really quite late stage, right? And 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 would would you still advise your angel investors and syndicates to still go in at these stages? Mm, I'll say uh, why not? Um, it's it's good to also it's good to just diversify a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have everything at the at the early stage. Then you're going to fall into what I always tell our angel investors at Fancy that uh, you are going to have a very sad initial first few years, maybe first two, three years. Why? Because as I said, the journey is about 10 years long. Yeah. And when you make angel investments, generally that money can last them anywhere from 12 to 18 months, maybe 24 months. So it is in your first one or two years that the companies start dying. Mm. And you're just going to keep seeing companies that die mm. in the first one or two years. Uh, the companies that go on to raise additional capital, the next round of funding is going to be few and far in between. So the first few years is going to be very sad, which is why if you're in a syndicate or in an angel network or something like that, you're going to have people who can commiserate with you, who can share the same sad news with you. And only after the initial first two or three years, when uh, after the initial, the people who need, the startups that have uh, died, have, uh, you know, have died and uh, those who have survived have gone on to do very well that you can really start to see light at the end of the tunnel and so yeah so okay besides talking about uh, the financial aspect of it diversifying your portfolio another thing is also the strategy value add uh, to startups which I believe that you're a firm advocate of right so what are some of the the roles that you take on as an advisor so what are, what are some of the uh, strategic value that you, you brought to the table for a startup Okay, I, I, I think angel investors uh, bring different value. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are naturally just very quiet and just want to uh, invest and just learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are, to me, they are equally as valuable as those who uh, advise or talk. Um, as angels ourselves, we uh, uh, necessarily well, have our own networks and so on that we can plug the startup into. For example, I've known angels who are um, their own titans uh, in, say, logistics. And when we invest into a logistics company, and when we plug that founder of the startup into that uh, network with Mm -hmm. that uh, titan of that logistics industry, Mm -hmm. you can bet that the founder is going to learn a lot. Mm -hmm. And vice versa too. Because if the angel investor, that corporate titan of that logistics firm, keeps an open mind, Mm -hmm. 
I'm very sure he also learns a lot about what's happening in the technology world that he or she can maybe even adopt um, and adapt for his own company. Mm, I see. So opening doors, opening access and also expertise in some cases. I see. So what is actually required of an angel investor, right? To be ready to become a lead investor because it's a bit more demanding, right? Okay, so the term lead investor refers to an investor who actually do all the necessary processes and paperwork mm-hmm. uh, so that the deal uh, can be executed or completed. Mm-hmm. Um, it means that, for example, in the case of three, three, three syndicate members who come together, we are assigning one of them, let's say in this case uh, myself, mm-hmm. uh, who will be the lead uh, investor and I will be the one to negotiate the terms with the startup. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be the one to also work with the lawyers to mm-hmm. get the terms drafted out, uh, being the messenger between the lawyers and the startup and so on and so forth, coordinating with the other two syndicate investors. And all this, uh, all this is in addition to the work that I'm doing in my normal day job, mm-hmm. uh, which is why um, lead investors have to have a bit of spare time, have to have the capacity and maybe even the understanding and, and logic, for example, to do due diligence into a sector that they may not necessarily be comfortable or be aware of. Mm-hmm. For example, I'm in tech, but now I need to do a DD into logistics, for example. Mm-hmm. So I, need, I may need to call into my network of logistics friends to understand a bit more. Bearing in mind that if it is something at all that my logistics friend can understand, mm-hmm. then how really breakthrough is this idea that we're funding anyway? Right, so there has to be some uh, some crossing a chasm that my logistic friend have to endure when they listen to the idea that I'm trying to convince them or trying to let them get get their advice on, and bearing in mind that lots of time new ideas get shut down, but still remain convinced on this founder that I'll convince two other syndicate members to go along. So it's just this whole process of going back and forth and so on, and um, to to get a deal done. Well, it sounds like quite a lot of things going on because you're put in so many different directions. You have to speak to incumbents in the in in, in in this industry to understand the market in the first place, right? But at the same time, right, the traditional people may not understand uh like say more disruptive startups which entirely change the game or even compete with the traditional players. So I think striking that balance and having that perspective comes with quite a fair bit of experience uh in perhaps the startup world and in uh angel investing as well. Yeah, it does. I I I think we've spent a lot of time uh, talking with um, fellow syndicate members, and to well to convince them that this a certain deal is still good to go ahead, even with the due diligence done that points them to a negative direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, the vindication is in the fact that the startup does very well, mm-hmm. raises follow-on funding, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you really have to have some conviction when you mm-hmm. take on the lead role. I see. And at Quest Ventures Investment Syndicate, Quest Ventures itself is the lead investors, right? And um, other investors can come on in to co-invest together uh, in a startup where Quest Ventures is already uh, investing in as a VC. Mm. So I think that eases a lot of the, the workload and the time taken, especially for people who are perhaps a bit new or they're doing the first few uh, angel investments to get started on the angel investing journey. Mm. So. Um, I I have been in Bansi for um, more than 10 years by now mm. and when I took on chairmanship about three years ago I was very mindful of the fact that a lot of angel investors are really corporate titans in their own rights many of our members are the chief execs of well-known companies and so on and many of them will never uh, be able to take on the time uh, to do a lead investment or 
they are, or to engage in so many of the other stuff that we do as angel investors but they are very supportive of startups they are very mindful of the fact that founders or young founders young entrepreneurs is where uh, new ideas come from and they want to be involved and they want to support it so what uh, we uh, what I've observed and now what we are implementing at uh, Quest Ventures uh, Investment Syndicate is to for those deals that we are already taking a lead role in investing into at Quest Ventures through our venture capital funds we are also uh, raising uh, money for the startup uh, those remember the one dollar and the three dollars that they're trying to raise that the syndicate can only pump in one dollar so that those gaps like this where they, the startup founder have to spend even more time on the road talking to VC firms and your investors to raise the additional capital now we are saying look uh, let us work with uh, some of the angels and so on that we know and reach out to them and maybe they want to invest in you too and these angels will now um, be able to uh, somewhat rely on the due diligence that we have done at Quest and so that some of these uh, owners that we have traditionally put on the lead investor in the in a, in an investment angel syndicate is now offloaded a bit mm-hmm. although we still say that we still advise that every deal comes with its own risk please you know make your own assessment uh, so with all that considered once uh, we have a deal uh, once quest ventures has a deal that is circulated uh, we welcome uh, our syndicate investment members to uh, participate in the round um, as uh, quest ventures syndicate members Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think that pretty much wraps up our whole interview for today. But any closing remarks or any last advice for aspiring angel investors out there or people who are just getting started in their investing journey? Um, okay, so some final words on, on that. I think angel investment is a highly illiquid um, asset class. And knowing that and knowing that it's also highly risky, you want to start off right. You don't want your money tied up in high risk, uh, illiquid investments for years and years and having to explain to your family and friends and so on why your money is tied up there. So don't come in blindly, learn from whoever you can learn from. There are plenty of resources on the internet on angel investments, on syndicate investments and so on and so forth. Uh, Read what you can before you invest anything. I see. Okay, great advice. Thank you so much, James, for sharing with us today. Thank you. Vanessa and thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by Quest Ventures, top venture capital fund in Asia, in collaboration with Pixel, the innovation hub of Infocom Media Development Authority. Follow us for more exciting episodes to come and stay in touch with us or find out more about Quest Ventures investment syndicates at questventures.com. Till next time.